College Volleyball Weekly, The Beach Report, with Charlie Ekstrom of Stanford, Matt Fitzpatrick of Florida State, and Rob on the mic. Now here are your hosts with The Weekly Report. Hey, good day, everyone. I'm Rob Espero for College Volleyball Weekly. We've got the beach edition. I like to call it the coast-to-coast edition. And because we've got one person from the West Coast, an athlete, I'm on the West Coast as well. That's Charlie Ekstrom of Stanford University, the tree or the cardinal. And we've got, we're blessed with two Florida State Seminoles and Kate Privet and, of course, Mads Fitzpatrick. Thanks for joining me this week, ladies. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, yeah. Uh, thanks as always. <laughs> it's always the bright faces that the people like to see, not this guy. But, it, you know, I was telling Charlie, I'm wearing a favorite color of all you guys, but it's a message. <laughs> So <laughs> <laughs> he's repping the re- the cardinal red for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, hey, another exciting week, and it's hard hard to believe uh, we've completed eight weeks of play. When this time last year we were just in this ball of confusion of what's going to happen with collegiate sports, with beach volleyball. Will there be a national championship played? Uh, but hey, we've made it near the end. We've got two weeks left in the season. So I wanted to ask all of you, what were some of the surprises, shockers, and our standout matches in week eight? And we're going to start with Charlie on this one. Yeah, so I think a standout match that I was kind of noticing was um, this intense battle between GCU and Cal Poly with Cal Poly ended up ending up coming out on top 3-2. But it was an intense match in there. And that whole weekend, it was the center of effort challenge hosted by Cal Poly. And that whole weekend was full of really, really intense games. Oh, no doubt. That was a crazy weekend in uh, Central California. Let's go to our guest contributor, Kate Privet. Um, so one, the most surprising for me was how St. Mary's upset Pepperdine 3-2. I don't, that was a shocker because St. Mary's was unranked. And so it's really cool to see an unranked team upset such a known like you like power, powerhouse, I guess you could say. So that's pretty cool. Good call, Kate. How about you, Matt? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with LMU all their wins. They beat Cal Poly 3-2, GCU 4-1. Um, and really only their their only losses are to USC and UCLA. So they really only lose to like those top for big scholes. Um, so I think LMU's a shoe in for the national championships. Um, and I'm really impressed by them the past week. Uh, that's another good call. I mean, there was so much action. I feel like it's actually heated up even more so towards the tail end of the season since uh, FSU and LSU's travel, uh, traveling west a couple of weeks ago, uh, Easter weekend. So I feel like teams have really turned it on and they're really beginning to find a good rhythm. And you're getting to see a more lock on the top 15 or even top 12, so to speak. Um, any other matches or duels that uh, come to mind? And we'll start, go back to you, Charlie. Yeah, so I see um, Stetson upset FAU this past weekend. They upset them 3-2. And I think that that was a huge win for Stetson because Stetson was kind of having a rockier season with being kind of caught in the lower end of the rankings. Um, and they upset FAU, which kind of, could call for a little bit of a flip-flop or a closer um, matchup between the two of them in the future. Yep. Anything else for you, Kate? Um, a, a duel that stuck out to me was um, our FSU, or a match was our FSU ones versus the TCU ones, because we played TCU twice this weekend and they 
split matches. So that was like a really fun match to watch between two good ones teams. And we, our ones had Kira Rutz and Tori Van Winden versus Daniela Alvarez and Tanya. Maleva. (laughs) (laughs) I've had to struggle with that one a few times. So I've uh, figured it out finally. Uh, That definitely is a good call because uh, I mean, basically they're one of the hottest pairs in the nation, that team from TCU. So good call, Kate. How about you, Mads? Yeah, I agree with Kate. I was going to say that too. Um, I think USC beating UCLA 3-2, that was really big for USC. Then again, UCLA didn't have Lindsay Sparks. I know she's a big part of that team. So that'll be interesting to see what happens if she gets back in the lineup. Um, And USC kind of handled every team this week with LMU 4-1, Cal Poly 5-0, and GCU 5-0. So USC definitely stuck out to me this week. Nice. Now, um, next question for you all is, who were the top performing teams, pairs, or individuals uh, that grabbed your attention in week eight? Uh, We'll go to Charlie. Yeah, I think getting to watch them this weekend, I was really impressed with Pepperdine's ones of Melanie Paul and Carly Skiot. Um, They were a really fun pair to play against. um, And they were were just putting up a really, really solid block, really solid defense. Melanie Paul, I've not seen a lot of her, um, not really played against her in the past, but she is a really dynamic player. And I was really, really impressed with the level of competition and the level of play that they both brought to the table. Yep. How about you, Kate? Um, I was noticing Cal Poly's ones pair of Macy Gordon and Emily Sunny, because they beat UCLA, LMU, and Grand Canyon, and they had only lost to USC. So they've been impressive all season and they just are continuing to have good wins. So I think they're definitely a team to keep an eye on. Yep. How about you, Mats? Uh, UCLA's Lexi Denenberg and Savvy beat Megan Kraft and Tina Gradina 33-31. Those are always really fun. That's super intense. <laughs> um, and then 21-18. And that's a huge win for UCLA's ones. Yeah, I'm going to chip one in here because I did see one uh, that I've worked so I can actually pay attention in detail. But uh, Savannah Slattery and Jesse Pritchard, or Sav Slattery and Jesse Pritchard of LMU playing the number threes against UCLA. And that's a very talented pair because they are competing in a huge way. They uh, were in tight with UCLA the, the whole whole way. It could have gone either way, but um, you know that's definitely a pair to watch. Uh, could be the tip of scales, uh, so to speak, in any duel playing at the number three spot. Um, any other ones, Charlie? You know... I'm really trying, like, I think that we hit the ones, Matt's actually took the one, the words right out of my mouth with that 33-31 game. I was amazed at that la- that long of a lasting game. Like, that is a gnarly score to run up. Um, I'm trying to find it, but there was one match with um, UCLA where it went down to multiple third sets and they ended up, UCLA ended up winning. I think it was against LMU actually. They Mm -hmm. ended up winning in the third set. I think it was Abby ended up winning like 23, 21 or 20 to 18 in the third set, which was crazy. Um, And like also just a really, really sign of uh, like a really positive testament to LMU. Like Vads was saying that they are putting up a fight. They played UCLA, Mm -hmm. I believe two, if not three times this past weekend. Um, and all three of them were really, really battles. Yeah, it's pretty intense. So that was the the second of the double headers. Uh, LMU was up 2-0 after the first flight with after the twos and fours played. 
And in the second flight, the one threes and fives really kicked in the gear, which is what we love to see, you know, in collegiate beach, because it comes, you, all the teams are gathering around those last few courts and rooting their teammates on. So, uh, you know, it came down to that, that final uh, number ones court when it finally landed, it was intense, but I mean, you guys have been, all been a part of that and that's what makes it fun for all of us fans to watch. Um, Kate, jump on in. Yeah. Um, I was going to say another standout match for me was um, the you just the whole USC and UCLA duel because I feel like it could have gone either way. It was three two and all the teams like were fighting hard and I know that they're playing again this Thursday. So I'm excited to see if UCLA can come back and beat USC. But either way, it'll be a good match. Which will be tomorrow, by the way, that oh, I will yeah. be working at. So <laughs> I'm hoping to post this tonight okay? fast. So we'll see if we're right. <laughs> Mads, jump on in. Any other uh, standouts? Um, yeah, I was going to say Abby Van Winkle and Megan Murray, which is a new team. They took down USC's Howard and Hallgren, 21-16, 21-18. So that's a, that's a really good team that they took down. Um, and being such a, like a new pair, I'm impressed. Yeah. So I'm going to ask this of all of you because, I mean, we're, you know, regarding the top 12, which is what we've got to be watching, which, you know, both your teams are being considered for or in or considered for NCAA championships at Gulf Shores, but we're seeing some shifting in the lineup. Um, do you feel the ones that we're seeing are due to injuries or coaches wanting to experiment? Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? And we'll start with you this time, Mads. Yeah, uh, so I have noticed this like this year a bunch of different teams switching up from different schools and i think all coaches have their different reasons um but mainly i would assume it's coaches just trying out different pairs just so they can get the maximum out of their team coming into national championships yep how about you kate thoughts on the uh, the, the changing lineups yeah i agree with madison like i think um at this point in the season Sometimes like partnerships have gone a long time and it's just better to switch it up, get something new, more fresh and just get the players more excited. So I think a lot of coaches might be doing that too. And it also gives the teams you're playing a different look. So like they don't know what to expect as much. So I think switching up lineups could be a good idea. Yeah. And finally, Charlie, what are your thoughts on the switches? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. I'm with Kate and Mads on what they're saying with the fact that it is kind of good and we are seeing a lot of mix-ups due to just kind of seeing a getting a fresh pair of eyes on some pairs. We're seeing a lot of repeat games and so kind of getting a fresh pair of eyes to see for an upset or to see for a different um, kind of look is good. Um, and I think also there are at times injuries that are coming into play and that it's kind of that last minute like save or not necessarily save but try and figure out something that'll work for conference play um just mm -hmm. so that everything can still be working and running as a smoothly oiled machine for all of the top places and hopefully hopefully all of the changes are working right now, i'm a little torn on how which order i should mention this because i mean there's still one more question i wanted to hit up but i almost feel like uh, i need to go into uh, what the tournament could look like and then go into our final question so uh sorry to change it up on you guys so last minute but if we were to be looking at ncaa collegiate beach tournament selection um today if the season were to end today for gulf shores out of the east a lot of people have 
Florida State, LSU, TCU coming out there. And then from the West, they're saying USC, UCLA, LMU. And with the way the tournament is structured, uh, two at-larges, and at least from the poll perspective, Cal Poly, Grand Canyon, and then the first four teams out, Arizona, FIU, Stanford, actually five, potentially FAU or Cal. So you know, obviously some teams have hope in getting in like Charlie, but um, with this weekend coming up, you still have regular season. Whereas for, for, uh, for Florida State, you ladies are playing in the CCSA term, which I've got, I've got a new question to ask you about that, but What's going to happen this weekend? Um, like, how big is this final week of competition with your final regular season play and the CCSA tournament? Which I'll get that part B question for you guys after Charlie responds. Yeah, um, I would say that this weekend is probably the make or break moment for us. It's a big weekend coming up. We have um, just a big weekend of play with GCU coming out as well as LMU coming up to play. Um, in this kind of final tournament um, at home for us. And I'd say that with this being the last tournament of regular season before conference play, I think it's Stanford's last effort prior to conference for us to kind of get that final look to be given that potential at-large spot. I think that they have, LMU, UCLA, and USC have performed at a very, very high level and are well-deserving of those three West Coast spots. But I think that we are up for a spot there is up for grabs because even looking at the wild cards now with Cal Poly and GCU, those are two teams that Stanford has upset this season that we have produced wins against. And so I'd say that it's definitely, I'd say the wild card and the at-large bids are definitely up for grabs for some of those teams that are kind of on the fence of those five. Yep. Uh, Kate or Mads, anything else to add on the, uh, the, the NCAA championship consideration? Yeah, I'm going to go off what Charlie said. I think this is a big um, weekend for some of those West Coast teams. Like, yeah, Stanford, y'all are playing GCU and LMU. So there could be like definite like upsets that could really help some of those teams like get a chance. So I think that is a big weekend for the West Coast teams. And then for the some of the East Coast teams that might be trying to get that a large bid like FIU and FAU. Um, they're actually, I feel like they're kind of put in a bad spot because they're in a different like conference than we, than, um, FSU, LSU and TCU. So they don't really have like an opportunity to like have any potential upsets. So I feel like it's going to come down more to the West coast side of things. Mads, anything to add there? Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. This is huge for Stanford. Like these coming up games versus GCU. If you guys can beat GCU and you can beat LMU and Cal, I feel like you'll definitely get that at-large bid. But um, really, really intense stuff is happening and I'm really excited for it. I feel like uh, maybe Stanford's coaching staff's like, hey, why don't you put LMU, Cal, and GCU in the same hotel on the same floor so they can ice <laughs> each other and get in each other's heads. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I figured they got to be staying somewhere. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and bubbling uh, just before this weekend. But yeah, four teams in consideration. They're going to be at the same tournament. I'm, I mean, it's going to be high intensity. Um, looking forward to what uh, the streams will be out there and uh, what Twitter is going to have to say about what's going on because it is going to be an intense weekend for sure. 
Now uh, to you on the CCSA representing that side of things, something rather unique is happening this year. Uh, the CCSA tournament is divided into two sub-tournaments. You've got the blue bracket and the aqua bracket. Um, do any of you care to share or explain to our listeners and viewers what is happening this year in the tournament? Um, so I don't necessarily know why they split it up. Kate, do you know? Um, I think that they hope to make a new conference next year with the blue bracket. So they oh. wanted like a smoother transition. That's what's like, that's the talk that's going around. I don't know if it, there's like something for sure of that, but that's like what I've been hearing. A little birdie told you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, my mom told me that today. So <laughs> maybe, maybe that's right. Um, I don't like it though, because I want FSU to be the sole champion. I don't want there to be like, oh, there's two CCSA winners, you know? Right. I'm upset that there's two different uh, types, but I see why they're doing it. Um, and it would make sense for that breakaway next year. Yeah, that's a humongous conference. When I really started tracking the other teams, I was like, wow, about time to get a new conference out there. But uh, that would make total sense. Um, well, let's focus on, I guess, uh, you guys are in the blue bracket. No, you're in the aqua bracket. Um, intense weekend for the Seminoles. Uh, what kind of mindset do you two have going into this weekend for your team? And uh, we'll start with Kate. I think like we're going in with just like a fiery, like really excited, ready to go mindset. Um, we've won the CCSA for the past four years. I mean, 2020, we didn't have one, but the four years before that we have went one and we are really eager to defend our title. So we know that like LSUs and TCU, they're coming for us, but we're excited to fight hard and get our fifth year. So, yep. Mads, anything to add? Yeah, I agree. It's just like we're defending what has been ours for a very long time. So it's just like that passion and that fire to keep it going um, and keep creating that legacy that Florida State has in the CCSA. Is there any additional fire with the uh, flip-flop of the uh, rankings in both the ABCA and the collegebeachbb.com rankings being that uh, – you guys flipped back to four last week and are back in the three spot, flipping with LSU. I mean, there's definitely a, a rivalry there. Um, does it provide any uh, fuel for, uh, you know, a little extra oomph this weekend? Uh, I think we're at maximum fuel and maximum fire. I don't think anything could make us go higher. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, as the outsider, what are you observing uh, on that, that coast? I'm honestly, I'm just so excited, honestly, to watch this weekend and to see the CCSA championships, both sides of the bracket, I think are going to be exciting. And I think that with the split, I don't know how to feel about it entirely, but I think it'll be cool to kind of watch. I'm looking at the blue bracket and I'm kind of seeing FAU and FIU, that little bit of a rivalry there that I'd be interesting to see who will come out on top there um, with my kind of prediction is what, like that being a really, really heated battle between the two. Um, and then I'm looking forward to hopefully watching another FSU LSU battle because um, those have been exciting to watch and exciting to kind of keep in touch with all of season. And so I'm hoping mm -hmm. that you guys, that if y'all play each other, that you play when I'm not playing so that I could at least get a peek at that <laughs> game. It's called waking up earlier, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. No, if they are playing at the night games, then I'm playing in an afternoon game. <laughs> So uh, it's all good stuff. I mean, it's, there's so much going on. I, I have volleyball ADHD right now because I'm looking at all the potential matchups and the tournaments and 
Um, I believe uh, Florida State goes right into action on Friday. Is that correct? Yes. Because like, I know like for, uh, I was looking at, I received my brackets for the uh, Pac-12 and teams have to play in and some don't, will only have two days worth of play. So, um, but you guys start, or it's a two-day tournament for everyone then for Florida State. Three day, three day tournament. Three days. Oh, yeah. It's okay. we're doing no break. Like double elimination. In the past, we've done pools and then single elimination um, bracket play. But this year, it's kind of the same setup set up as the NCAA tournament with just double elimination bracket play. So, yeah. Uh, anything else I may have missed from uh, week eight and going into this tournament weekend? No? I think you covered it. <laughs> Well, there's a lot. That's why I was over. I was like, yeah. I'm going to send my notes to you guys. You're not going to want to come on because there's so much going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go to what's become one of our most popular segments now. It's the fan questions. And there's a few from Volley Talk. There's a few from Instagram. But we'll start with the one from Instagram. Um, and it's in regards to poll voting uh, because uh, someone had asked, you know, what do coaches or poll voters use as their criteria to vote? And why don't we see changes or uh, accurate voting like uh, <laughs> in the last few weeks? So I wanted to have you guys field that question because I definitely have a take as a voter. So, and I'll respond. I actually sent the response to the person, but I wanted to get your guys' take. We'll start with you, Kate. Um, I think that there's a lot of like upsets where one team like could upset a team and then that team that they upset will beat them back. So it's kind of hard to um, judge, fully judge like, cause you play, teams are playing so many times that it's kind of hard to fully judge the better team. So I think sometimes pool voters just get stuck voting in like their same rhythm type of thing. Yeah, yep. How about you, Matt? Yeah. I totally agree with that kate i was actually wondering how they made those decisions so i'm looking forward to hearing your answer rob but, uh -oh. but i feel like <laughs> no but i feel like maybe um like sometimes they could see a team's potential and vote that way or that mm. they could go with their records um i think there's definitely just a ton of different aspects that go into deciding yeah how about you charlie yeah i think one added thing um is program history can sometimes aid a program with um, having a higher ranking or a higher, um, I don't know, like a higher voting at the beginning, but then really it comes down to kind of how successful a program is in their season. And so, I don't know. I, again, am very curious to hear from you coming from somebody who's <laughs> bounced around to the rankings quite a bit um, this season. So I'd say that we're always curious to kind of hear how the rankings work because mm -hmm. sometimes we see teams as they're like, oh, this team should make a huge jump and it's small or, oh, this team wouldn't drop super far and they do. And mm -hmm. I think, or they don't, and we would think the opposite. And I think that it's always kind of, I don't even know. I think it's like a waiting game on when the polls come out that we're all kind of like excited to see what the polls are this week. Cause we really don't know. Yeah. Well, here we go. Let's see. Where do I start? <laughs> um, and I, I say, I say this from the ABCA poll perspective, the coaches that vote on it, and this is from the men's D1 indoor side, D1 two side, you know, they've admitted that some of the coaches just don't have the ability to do the homework that let's say a media poll voter could, you know, spend doing that. So they will just go with the reputation of the teams and the programs. So totally get that. Um, so they're, they're doing their best based on 
the time they have to vote from the last drop of whatever their previous week's games are or matches are um, up until the Monday voting deadline, which I think is 12 noon Eastern. So they may not get all that information. On the media side, and this is just me, I like to look at um, what teams are hot and who's not. Um, what's different this year is obviously COVID because you were limited with practice times. Um, you know, certain teams got, you know, canceled or postponed matches or duels due to COVID protocols. So I look for that information, but it's by no means accurate because uh, accurate of the teams that are being voted upon because they could have a number three player out because of COVID, but they'll still play or an injury, especially in the shortened season. Um, people with medical conditions who started the season who came in three or four duels in like Mads. So, you know, teams are changing a lot this year. Um, so I like to vote on who's hot and who's not, but I, I do pay attention to results. I try and stay up on the news feeds and vote accordingly. So that's where I come from. Uh, any other year without COVID, I'm all about who's hot. But, um, and that's because I, I follow the game pretty closely. So, <laughs> but there. We trust you. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but, there's, but then again, the reason why I wanted to do this this year is because um, both of you, uh, Kate and Madge, you give me East Coast eyes, so to speak. Um, and from your chatter, I get to dive into those teams and follow what's going on. Like, oh, she did mention, oh, this pair from FIU, let's check them out. What's FIU doing as a whole? Then I'll start diving into those programs a little more. So um, that's why I like to have the representation from both coasts. So, totally. Um, but there. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go to our, our uh, next question here. How do the FSU players feel about the split conference tournament? And do they think it would be better if the CCSA had one big conference championship? Kate actually kind of responded, but have another shot at it. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I mean, I can, I see both reasons because we do have a really big conference. I think we have 14 teams maybe total with like both conferences. So I see why they wanted to split. Um, I don't fully know how they did the splitting, but like I said, I feel like FIU and FAU who could potentially, who were kind, who are in the running for the at-large won't have the opportunity to maybe get like potential upsets, which could hurt their chance, but I think that overall it could be a good, easier way since we have so many teams in the CCSA. Oh, like a seasoned veteran. So diplomatic. Kate, you're natural. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Mads, let's let's go to the dark side response. I know you got yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I totally agree with Kate. I feel like that's a silver lining for like FIU and FAU. One, they might not get those upsets to take them to that at-large vote, but then maybe they could get a conference win and they can have that to take home. Um, so that's kind of nice for them. Um, mm -hmm. Selfishly, I'm sad because I want there to be only one CCSA champion, but I do understand um, why they made the decision. It'll be interesting to see how that affects the future of the CCSA. Yeah, with that news, I'm curious how they plan on doing that. If that's gonna, if we're looking at term expansion, that's gonna be an auto bid for that other conference in the CCSA if they, or if they just break off and form a new name conference. But I mean, that's the first I'd heard what you mentioned, Kate, about potentially forming a new conference. So it uh, makes sense. Charlie, any outsider perspective to add in? Um, I'm not sure. I think Mads and Kate kind of hit the nail on the head. I think that it's really leaving a lot open. Um, and I think that that is it's on a positive side of things. Having more conferences does give us kind of that advantage and kind of 
pushed NCAA to expand the tournament. And I think that that's a really, really exciting factor um, that we've all been kind of hoping for through the years of having a larger than eight um, NCAA bracket. And so that we could actually have some really, really heated upsets with like a 16 seed and a one seed that might be just like crazy at the end of it. Um, and so I think that having more conferences and having the opportunity for the CCSA to split or to have more teams joining conferences like GCU finding a conference for them. Um, I think that that gives like kind of a greater opportunity and a greater draw for the NCAA to expand our tournament that much farther. Yeah. I think the CCSA is responding to the growth of the game. I mean, it makes sense to me. Uh, we're seeing, you know, exponential growth and participation in collegiate beach and, and volleyball as a whole, uh, even the indoor game. So, you know, it's a great decision, I believe, you know, to expand the conference. Um, this one's just geared towards Charlie. Um, how does Charlie feel about Stanford's lineup changes as they make their final push to qualify for Gulf Shores weekend? How do I feel? I feel, I mean, honestly, I think we've hit the nail on the head about talking about lineup changes and kind of looking for new things, looking for the potential for different looks against opponents that we've played against for a while. Um, and I feel good. I mean, I think that it's such a cool thing for Stanford, having the depth of our team to be able to have these kind of lineup changes. Um, so that there is no necessarily stale play um, within mm -hmm. the team. And so I think that it's good. And I think that we're really gearing up for some heated competitions and that we're searching for um, more. I, I mean, and I think that the lineup changes are kind of a start to our search for a quest for more than just what we've had in the past. Yeah. Well, that was a, char uh, that was a Charlie question. So uh, <laughs> this one is going to be for everyone. Um, this is an interesting question, by the way, because, uh, they ask, who do you guys see in practice making a big impact for next year's squad? And they're looking at non-top five players or teams. And it's funny to hear that because I'm like, Charlie, you're like the oldest person on your team. You're a junior. So, <laughs> but uh, um, Kate, we'll start with you on that. We have like, our team has so much depth. Like we could we could make like two very, very strong lineups. Um, I see one of our freshmen, Caitlin Moon. She's has so much potential, like such a heavy arm, just a hard worker. I see her making um, a future impact for us. We also have another freshman, Caitlin Godwin, who's so quick and fast. And we just have a lot of players. I don't know, I can't name them all, but I could see them making impacts in the future. Yep. Mads, how about the tour I, take yeah. as the yeah. old junior as, as well? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Yeah. We have like 30 girls that could play. It's so much fun having such a solid team. Um, Lexi McEwen, I think is going to be a huge asset to us next year. Really smart player, strong arm. Uh, Alex Hilton hasn't really um, made like a big jump into the lineup yet, but I feel like next year we're really going to use her. She is just really growing uh, so quickly in the game of volleyball. So those two are good ones. Yep. Charlie, you old lady at that Stanford. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, being on the older side with us having a very young team, I don't know if I have any specific players that are making, like, I don't know if we have specific players because our team is so close and like, I think it's like a whole kind of effort. Um, I think that's something that I've really loved and appreciated being an upperclassman this year is just who I see in practice making the big positive changes are our underclassmen. I think that 
we kind of in the past have had such a small team that it, there's been a lot on like everybody to kind of build and work like and I think that something that has been so incredible this season is having like six solid freshmen join our team and all six of them adding such an asset to the program and all of our sophomores all of our juniors all of our seniors like our whole program is really actively feeding in and really really actively working to the betterment of the program and I think that that's such an incredible thing um I don't know I have just like this deep love for the depth of Stanford beach volleyball this year. And I think that there's so much more coming with our incoming classes. And I just am so excited for it. Yep. Well, I was going to throw in the, any buzz or chatter of graduate transfers, but we'll save that for postseason. <laughs> so we don't want to rattle anyone's cages. So, um, oh, true. <laughs> cause that's always been such a, a game changer. Uh, we've seen that at a, a few, at least on the West Coast schools, and LSU benefited from a few. I'm not as familiar with if there are any at Florida State, with the exception of Tori Van Winden. Um, so, but for the most part, I mean, we know those those pairs or those teams that they end up going on are impact players. So, uh, let's end on this question here because it's coming up on a very late hour for our East Coasters here, and I know they've got a big week to weekend to plan for. So. And it's a great question, and I'm looking forward to your response as well because we're all dealing with this time in history together. But as a season winds down, can you describe what you've endured to make this season happen? Um, this person also adds, I'm not sure that people on the outside looking in have a real sense of the commitment that's been required and what you've had, had to endure to, in order to play this season. And then we'll end on the little lighthearted question. But what what was it like for you guys to go through this season so far? I'm going to start with Charlie and then end with Mads. Yeah. So I think something that's different from any normal season is that we actually had no preseason. We had no fall. We were not allowed to be back on campus. Um, Santa Clara County, where Stanford is located, has actually been one of the more restricted counties nationwide, if not one of the most restricted counties nationwide um, throughout the history of the pandemic. And so we were actually not even invited back to campus, not welcomed back to campus until January 23rd, which gave us a 10 day quarantine. And then by the time that we were practicing on February 3rd, we had two weeks until our season began. So we had two weeks to really work out all the kinks um, before we started playing our, our normal schedule. Um, and that is definitely abnormal from us usually having an entire fall preseason and some preseason tournaments to work out some kinks. Um, I think the other thing is that we've been living in a modified bubble um, for the last four months, as well as um, being COVID tested um, two, if not three times a week for the last four months straight. Wow. All right, Kate, share with us your experience this season. Yeah, well, Florida is a little bit less strict than it sounded like Stanford was, <laughs> but I mean, we, still had, we still had to do some stuff, but. We did have practice in the fall, which was nice. We were on, we've been on campus since, I think we started practicing late September, early October. Mm -hmm. um, and in the fall, we didn't really get tested, but we've still, we've been having our modified bubble ever since we've gotten back to campus in the fall, just because we didn't want to get contact traced and have to do all that. But spring, we had to start cracking down more. Now we get tested once a week um, and yeah, we really have to watch out who we see and when we like if we see our, we can't see our parents at tournaments and we can't Brutal. go to restaurants <laughs> and stuff like that. So 
because we, yeah, like LSU couldn't compete last weekend because of COVID and stuff. And now that we're really near the end, we've really got to be careful because, yeah. So it's been different, but we've been able to still get some good practices and good matches in. So that's awesome. Yep. Matt, I know you're in the same place, but uh, anything else to add? Yeah. About your experience. Well, you've actually had a few things to deal with this season. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I have. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, uh, this year has been totally different. I feel like I'm not even in college sometimes, you know, like college, you get in the big groups and you do the tailgates and sometimes you go to bigger parties. Um, and this year is just none of that. Like we can't be in big groups of over 10. We really don't gather groups at all, no parties. Um, so it's just a very strict version of college. Um, but in the end, it's definitely going to be worth it. So we've kind of stayed steadfast in our goal because we know a national championship is totally worth it. Yeah. Well, I'll have to add, you know, from a working in the aspect that I do working on Mike, at as a broadcaster and MC host, it's like there are three different tiers of staff allowed. And even at my tier, I technically am not supposed to approach any athletes, <laughs> so, which is hard when I see friends on the court. So it's a, it's a, such a challenge, but um, we're definitely all adapting to this and we're doing what we can to make sure everyone can keep playing. So I wanted to end on this question here because it's definitely more lighthearted and, you know, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel with with COVID, with vaccinations and numbers going down and um, obviously playing ball and getting to this point of conference tournaments and Gulf Shores. But uh, what do you all look forward to doing after the season is done? And we'll start with, uh, we'll go with Mads on this one. I am looking forward to traveling and seeing new places. Um, traveling, period. Traveling to Atlanta, Georgia for your internship? Yeah, internship. um, I might have an internship in Hawaii. We'll see. Oh, Uh, so We'll see. I don't really know. But we're going to the Grand Canyon in Las Vegas with my family right when this is done. So I'm just looking forward to seeing new things and getting out of this bubble. (laughs) Right. How about you, Kate? Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to travel, be in bigger groups, get to go to restaurants, you know, just more of like the social aspect of just hanging out and bigger groups and going home and seeing my family more. So I'm mainly excited just to see more new people. Yep. (laughs) And Charlie. Yeah, I think a little bit of it all. I'll still be on campus for a little while longer um, just because of the fact that we're on the quarter system. So we run for, we still have six more weeks of classes after this. Um, But I think that's something that I'm really looking forward to is just like hugging more people. Um, It sounds so simple, but it's something that I've really missed. And I'm really, really excited to just have a little bit more freedom um, to live in, I don't know, to just live and travel and have more hugs and play tournaments, play tournaments outside of college. I'm excited for that this summer. Get rid of the spandex tan, all the usual beach college beach volleyball yes. situation. <laughs> I don't have that problem, in case you're wondering. Uh, my spandex tan, non-existent. <laughs> I was wondering. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I mean, such deep answers. Like I was like, oh, we're gonna compete AVP next. I mean, you know, I didn't hear that, but oh. it's just crazy this time of of, of in history. It's like just the basic things, just want to hug people. I want to be able to travel and and gosh, and take for granted some of the things we got to do in the past. <laughs> but um, totally, uh, ladies, it's always a, an honor. And Kate, it's great having you on as a guest contributor. Looking forward to the la- next two weeks because they're going to get interesting. And uh, 
you know, it's 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 go time for uh, yeah. tournaments, conference tournaments, and the NCAA Gulf Shores weekend. So, uh, Charlie X from Stanford, Kate Privet of Florida State, and Mads Fitzpatrick, also of Florida State. Um, thanks for coming on to College Volleyball Weekly Beach Edition. Looking forward to chatting with you all again. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Viral Volley Podcast podcast. Be sure to follow Rob at Rob on the Mic on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or at RobOnTheMic.com. Check it next time.